Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 116 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, before we get into the main part of the show, I wanted to let you know about my online PR course and group coaching program, Vegans in the Limelight. It's ideal for small business owners, including authors, artists and creatives on a budget who understand the value of getting yourself or your vegan brand featured regularly in the media, but can't afford to spend thousands of dollars or pounds a month to hire a publicist or PR firm. With Vegans in the Limelight, you get access to online video training that takes you through every step of how to get media coverage that can help you generate more leads and sales, as well as grow your email list and social media following. So we cover how PR and social media work in tandem, how to research and target the media without spending a cent, how to find the stories in your vegan brand on a regular basis, how to approach journalists the right way with ideas and stories. That's a really important one. How and when to write a media release. How to create an online media room for your website without spending heaps of time or money. How to respond to journalists' call-outs or queries, which is the easiest and quickest way to get media coverage and free publicity content marketing and PR, so how to create your own shareworthy stuff and leverage it to the max, writing and content creation tips for opinion pieces, listicles, features and columns, speaking gigs and PR, so how to leverage events to gain media coverage, and interview tips for print, online, radio and TV. Now, as well as the video training, which you go through at your own pace over 12 months, the program also includes a full 12 months of group coaching, including a monthly live Q&A call. You can also post your questions throughout the year on the learning platform, and you can post your pitches and media releases and get feedback from me before you send them to journalists. So you've basically got me holding your hand, helping you to do your own PR for a full year. It's a great value program. It's way more affordable than similar courses. And it's the only one that's specifically aimed at vegan and plant-based business owners, entrepreneurs, authors, coaches, and creators. Current students have already got media coverage in mainstream and specialist newspapers, magazines, radio and TV shows, as well as blogs and podcasts. So if you'd like to get your vegan brand or yourself featured in the media, but don't have the budget to hire a publicist or PR agency, then I highly recommend you check out this program. You get full and immediate access to the materials as soon as you enroll. You can find out all the details by going to veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the link for the program Vegans in the Limelight. And there's also a link on the show notes page. And if you have any questions about the program, including whether it's right for you, feel free to email me at katrina at veganbusinessmedia.com. Now for the main part of the show. 
In this episode, I interview Heather Mills, vegan entrepreneur and owner of V-Bites plant-based food company in England. After being fired as a young teenager for eating too many croissants at the bakery store she worked at, Heather decided she didn't want to work for anyone else. Since then, she's run a successful bra company that made her a millionaire at the age of 19, a model agency, and many other businesses. In the early 90s, on returning home from charity work in the Balkans, a road accident resulted in her losing her leg. Far from letting this hold her back, it kick-started additional careers in the development of prosthetics, public speaking, television commentating and alpine skiing, in which she broke several world records. In 2009, Heather bought the Redwood Company, a plant-based food brand that made vegan meat and cheese alternatives, and rebranded it as V-Bites. As well as opening several V-Bites cafes throughout the UK, Heather has scaled up the V-Bites brand, which now makes 130 plant-based meat, fish and dairy products that are sold in 25 countries. She also invests heavily in other vegan brands and recently launched V-Bites Ventures, an incubator and investment vehicle for vegan and plant-based businesses. Her most recent venture is the upcoming launch of an affordable vegan beauty brand, Be At One. In this episode, Heather discusses why she decided to buy an existing plant-based food brand instead of starting one from scratch, why most startups fail to scale up and how V-Bytes Ventures is providing a solution, why she requires business owners she invests in to relocate to the north of England, why she has bought and continues to buy plant-based factories, the one thing she looks for when deciding whether to invest in a vegan brand, and it's not the business plan, which she says most people get wrong most of the time anyway, why there has been a plant-based boom and what that means for vegan entrepreneurs, how and when to use the word vegan versus plant-based, and how she does this with V-Bites, and much more. Here's the interview with Heather Mills. Hello, Heather. Thank you very much for joining me today. Good morning or good evening or whatever time yeah, it is good over evening there. Here. <laughs> uh, really great to speak with you. As we were just saying before we came on air, that uh, Cheesley, one of your, your brands, um, was the first vegan cheese I ever really loved. So it's been great to see the, the growth of V-Bites. So really looking forward to getting into that back in today. I won't give you age away, but back in 97 when you were three years old. That's <laughs> very kind of you, but no, I was quite a bit older than that. <laughs> but it's been fantastic to see the growth of V-Bytes. So you actually, you founded V-Bytes in 2009. And I'm curious, because I know you've, had, you've already had a business history before that. And one of the questions I always like to kick off with is, is entrepreneur, the why? Why do you do what you do? So tell me a little bit about what drew you to want to be an entrepreneur in the plant-based food sector. And, and what's your why for running? V-Bites? Well, it's a, it's a bit of a longer story, but I'll try and keep it potted. Um, I left home when I was a teenager. Uh, long story, father went to prison, mother had left home, blah, blah, blah. And I just came across, um, you know, a job and I got fired after a week in a croissant shop for eating too many croissants. <laughs> and I said, I'd never work for anyone again because he promised me I could eat as many as I like because I was skinny, didn't think I would 
be eating 10 or 20 a day. So he said I was eating too much of the profit, which now being an entrepreneur was fair enough. But at the time, being a hungry teenager, um, I was just eating. So um, I decided from there that I'd never worked for anyone. So then I started um, a stick on bra business because I had huge boobs that kept getting in the way every time I tried to wear a backless dress. And I wanted something that would just stick them in place. Um, and then I started selling that and uh, made a lot of money from that. And then went on to do um, other businesses. Uh, my mum wanted to leave her partner. So my incentive was to get enough money to get her a flat away from her abusive partner. Um, and then when I did get it, she died two weeks later. Mm. So then I realized money doesn't really mean anything. You know, it's all about health and happiness. And then I eventually opened um, a model agency because I'd done a little bit of modeling. I didn't like the industry and how models had to wait months to be paid. So I basically set up an incentive to the clients that they use our models. Um, they get a discount, but really the discount was added on and uh, we got, they got them paid every Friday. So then I realized there was lots of great ways of doing business fairly mm. that looked after the workers and the companies made money. And um, and then I was suddenly a millionaire when I was 19. Um, and then I fell in love uh, with a ski instructor in the former Yugoslavia, gave up my life and started working on the front line when the war started there, came back, crossed the street, a police motorcycle chopped my leg off, crushed my pelvis, punctured my lung, ended up in hospital. And um, they kept chopping more and more of my leg off. So my girlfriend ran in, I hadn't seen in years, and had cured herself of breast cancer and claimed that it was because she'd gone vegan. Well, I was 25, uh, a northern Georgie sausage and meat girl from Newcastle. <laughs> and uh, there was I didn't even know what a vegan was back in um, the 80s. So, uh, you know, and sorry, it was 93. And, um, and she said she'd healed herself. Well, you know, you do anything when you're ill. And I wanted to keep my knees. So she dragged me off to a place called Hippocrates in West Palm Beach where they shoved me full of loads of plant-based uh, juices and grasses and all horrible tasting things at the time. Uh, but I healed in two weeks. So the media were following me around a lot of the time. So I ended up writing a book because everyone was asking. And then after a few years and getting older, I couldn't digest raw food very well. I had um, Lyme's disease and didn't have a good digestive system. So I found it even though it healed me, it was very difficult to digest all that raw fiber. Plus, I wanted to go out with friends and eat in restaurants. Mm. So I was determined um, to make some uh, meat, fish and dairy alternatives, which I did. But I couldn't find a plant-based only factory to scale it up um, because everyone did everything in mixed facilities. And I didn't want that contaminant risk, not only for beliefs, but, um, you know, for allergens and things oh, yeah. for, for, for people that had you know, were vegan for allergen reasons. So I found this tiny little company, which was fabulous, called Redwood, and um, spent two years trying to convince them to sell it to me. And uh, eventually they did. And uh, and I paid way over, millions over what I should have paid for it. But I believed the future was vegan. And they did have some basic, really good products. And I knew that if we could expand it, add to the product range, which is now 130 products. So it's grown wow, exponentially. Uh, and, um, and then started, you know, opening cafes um, 
to try and test the market and see what was needed. So we opened the first ever vegan cafe in 2009 on the beach in Brighton as a community cafe. So it was all the cafes were non-profit. They were, they were actually profit losing because we were just giving food for peanuts out the door to get people enticed and using it as a test kitchen and trying to convert people and, 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 and help flexitarians meat reduce and, and show that vegan wasn't the, the 60s hairy armpit Birkenstock image that everybody had. We wanted to make it aspirational and I needed to make it hip and sexy for the new generation so that we would, you know, attract the superficial people who were really naive in, in, in not understanding what they were actually eating was actually the, the same thing as they were admiring in the farmer's field. Yeah. So it, it, that was kind of the process. Amazing. Now, I just want to take you back briefly to the fact that you decided to buy a company, an existing company, instead of starting from scratch. Can you talk us through a little bit why you decided to do that? Um, I decided to buy what was then a tiny company because it had the factory as well. And I had the finances to do that. It's not always something everybody can do. Um, it, it was a small factory. It was only 25,000 square feet, not like the 400,000 square feet, four factories we've got now. Um, so it was small and it had a good core team that I could work with to develop my product range that I'd done in my own kitchens um, for research and development. So it had the machinery and we just needed to, you know, design new machinery for, for more innovative products. And, um, and so that's the reason I did it. Knowing what all other startups generally do. And that's why I invest in them. Um, I don't know if I'm jumping too ahead of myself, but in in line with that, what happens with um, startups, and it's why I've invested so heavily in lots of startups, um, is because they get to a point of scale, then they can't get the accreditations because they're not in a facility that could ever get those high-risk BRC double a accreditations that we have um and they i want to stop them from making all the mistakes i made um so basically you know what we do at v bites ventures is that we manufacture for them we distribute we sell for them and we get them to focus on the quality of their product on a daily basis so the mistake that most people make is that they get someone to co-manufacture and they're not in there all the time watching it because it doesn't matter what staff you hire, they are not and very rarely going to have the same in-depth knowledge you have, the passion you have, and the belief that you will have as a business owner with your own brand. So I've set up a, a huge factory in Newcastle for V-Bytes Ventures, and the rule of investment with everyone is that they have to move to that area um, we get thousands oh, of really? applications. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, it has to happen because the weakest link ever in your scale-up will be overseeing the quality of your product day in, day out. Once you've six months down the line and you're happy with the team that's in there, then you can, you know, be and go wherever you need to do need to go. But that's only in our situation. In normal situations, you've got to do everything yourself so you've got to do all the sales yourself the marketing mm. yourself um but there is no point lots of companies going to the same buyers we're going to 
going to the same countries we're going to, having to pay for hotels, pay for flights. And and the other thing that comes with Levi's Ventures is because we've been going for so long, all of the supermarkets trust that we deliver. So their biggest fear is small startups might not scale up and deliver when they've opened their shelves to them. So it's very important when you're scaling up, you align with a manufacturing plant that's number one, 100% plant-based, because I've warned different companies about this that have ignored me and it's backfired on them and they've found contamination of dairy and meat. It might even just be on a DNA scale, but there's a lot of big corporates that are fearful of the growth of plant-based who want to get bad press out there. So they're looking at it very in-depthly now, whereas before it might have been a DNA thing, but nobody would have picked it up necessarily in the person's firm. But now they will pick absolutely everything up. And Um, it doesn't actually, most of the time, make any difference to anybody's allergens or anything because it's DNA. But it's really bad for your brand. It's unnecessary now because there is, you know, we've got loads of factories and um, and we distribute to 24 countries. So if anybody's got an incredible brand, I doubt they'll have a product that we don't already do. And that's why people are surprised when I invest in companies that do products that we can do in two minutes. The reason I do that is because it's very, very important that it's about the people. I'm all about the people. So, for example, we already do an ice cream but I found a great couple from the Isle of Wight called Bo's Ice Cream that I've invested in. And they've got a three-year-old kid. And I said to them, you know, you might not want to do this, but we can't scale you up in the Isle of Wight. You need to oversee your product. So they're moving to Newcastle. They're really excited about it. Wow. Um, the, the, the wife is going to continue to run the Isle of Wight while the husband comes over and sets up the scale up with us in our factory. And then they've both visited Newcastle four times, and it is like the New York of England. It's absolutely amazing. Wonderful. So um, what do you look for, Heather, so when you're, you're going to invest? I know you touched on, you mentioned the people. What does a company, like how do you decide, okay, I'm going to give this company my time, my energy, my, my, my investment? The people, the people. Mm. It's all down to the people because I can fix everything else for them. So not so a business plan. That's not the number one. I look at I look at the business plan, but they always get it wrong. They always overproject. <laughs> they always ask for too much investment for what's needed. They always put things in there that are, are wasting their finance and their money. And um, and because we're not like a private equity hedge fund type of business that just chuck a load of money on it, but don't support it or mentor it or distribute yeah. it or manufacture it, um, we are a completely different let's say kettle of vegan fish you know we (laughs) are literally we're the whole package so someone will put a pitch to us and we need it so they they need to do that it doesn't need to be overcomplicated. but it's like it's like teaching your grandma how to stuff vegan eggs we'll say because um because we know it all i know exactly what's going to happen with the product you know i've been doing this for 25 years um in all sorts of arenas and i just know what needs to be done, what the market needs, where the market's going. You know, every single thing that's happening now, I predicted it. It's all been written down. I know exactly where the future's going to go. It's just educating the uh, corporates 
who have no idea on plant-based until recently. Yeah. And the only reason there's been this huge plant-based boom um, massively is because the corporates have took such a big interest now because of companies like Daya Cheese selling for 330 million, mm. Fields Roast Sausages selling for 120 million, Corn, which is mainly vegetarian, genetically modified products, is selling for 550 million to the Philippines. So because these huge sales went through, the, 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 the demand has grown massively because it's being taken seriously. Plus the movement that we have pushed in the vegan area for 25 years and they've seen that all the articles and, and everything that we've done as a, as a big group um, of like-minded people out there, um, the sales have grown. And that's all it's down to, you know, is, is those two areas constantly pushing it, creating a demand, and then huge sales going around the corporates. So the corporates have now woke up to the fact that the future is plant-based. It's not a trend. Yeah. It's 100% plant-based. And, um, yeah, it's interesting. And what I like about your, your model is that what you've just mentioned is effectively you're, you're investing in and helping other companies that are making products that I suppose are technically in quote competition to yours. And traditionally, you know, there wouldn't yes. be those collaborations. What I love about the vegan business world is that, that it, because you're on this shared mission and it's more than just the money. Um, you know, I've had Seth yeah. and Tuferky say the same thing. He said, you know, when we, I think it's a rising tide that lifts all the boats and it helps the category of plant-based. So uh, I'm really like, well, this and it gives unusual. You, it, yeah, you're right. You're right, because it gives it gives us um, a power as a team. And that's why the vegans are a community. And when you get the extreme ones that say, well, why are you making meat, fish and dairy alternatives? That's ridiculous. And I say, <laughs> it's not. It's not for you. It's to convert the carnivores. Yeah. <laughs> You're never going to convert a carnivore with a salad, broccoli and some rice and beans. It it's just true. doesn't happen. I've proved it <laughs> for 25 years. So can you just get off our back? And start thinking about the animals, the environment, and the planet instead of your own thoughts and beliefs. It's about problem solving. It's about not being judgmental, not being critical. And you create huge change, which is proven to save the animals, the planet, and the environment. It is the solution. It's a bit like when people said to me, oh, my God, you know, you've cleared all this 400,000, uh, it's 21 million square meters of minefield land. That didn't happen by going down normal paths with my beliefs that happened about by engaging with the so-called enemy working mm. with them to stop it and coming up with solutions that kept money in their pockets but didn't destroy men women and children's lives you cannot just go down a single-minded path and not look at reality because there is realism and idealism mm. and of course the idealism is what we all the plant-based and vegan eaters, believers, animal lovers, everything want, but it's reality. And the reality is how do we convert people without the same mindset, without the same beliefs, and how do we make it as simple as possible? And it is absolutely feed them great tasting food. Yeah. That's it. The absolutely. second they start tasting it, they become flexitarians. And within a short time, a year, even two years, they're full on vegans. And then those vegans become sometimes hardcore and I'm saying you're a hypocrite <laughs> because you have not been a vegan your whole life. So do yeah. not criticize others that 
are trying to get there or don't know how to get there, just feed them, give them a guiding hand. That's good. And eventually point. I have converted the most hardcore carnivores in the world. I've converted purely by feeding them amazing food. Brilliant. Now, so let's talk a little bit about the terms because we, we're, we're using vegan and plant-based kind of interchangeably and it's, I know it's a huge discussion. I wrote an article for Forbes about it. I've got a chapter in my book about it and I ask people on the podcast and I get so many different answers. What are your thoughts on whether we use vegan or plant-based and, and how you apply that to V-Bites? Fine. So we use both. We always have. So we've always used plant-based in the flexitarian arena where especially towards men because men like to think they're flexible so um so instead of saying vegan where they jump out the window and won't even <laughs> bite the burger yeah. we just say well why don't you try this plant-based because you eat salads and you know vegetables and stuff so we have different brands uh so you have to know your market and it's mm. as simple as that are you aiming for the flexitarian if you are you want plant-based um, if you're aiming for the vegan market, you obviously want vegan and flexitarians eventually become vegan. So we, we're lucky. We have a huge uh, array of products. So um, what we have is we have we own the V as a patent um, with the leaf on. So we put the V on um, and that attracts the vegans. And then we'll say plant based mints um, mm-hmm. and then on other products it's very heavily vegan marketed because like let's say for example Holland and Barrett in England we're in 350 stores so we push vegan because the vegans purposely go in there um, and buy it but if we're going into Morrison's we do their free from uh, allergen free coconut cheese free range so we'll put plant-based or free from so it all depends on the market that you're going into and who your target audience is. The massive, massive market is not the vegan. It's the flexitarian. Yeah. Um, yeah. 80, 80 to 20% at the moment, it's that. Um, so it depends on your scale-up. So if you're a small company and you're targeting a small area, then you probably want to stay with vegan. If you're planning to scale up massively, you probably want to do two ranges, the vegan range and the plant-based range. And also, because we've got 130 products, let's say we're going to go into America, we're going to Whole Foods. Whole Foods will want 10 or 12 items that are completely different to HEB in Texas. Now, HEB in Texas have nearly as many stores as Whole Foods just in Texas. So we'll give them 10 other products. Now, one of them, like Whole Foods, would be great vegan, but HEB would be a more general store. So we would go with plant-based. So you need both of them. And um, and that's going to be the growing market. Eventually, five to ten years from now, you'll probably find that it's just all vegan because people are starting to shake off the, yeah. you know, the um, heebie-jeebies when they hear the word. That's and it right. depends what country. For example, Britain has a history of hardcore marching animal rights um, from the 60s, still ingrained in people's minds who did brilliant work. But the people who didn't understand it are abhorred by, you know, the whole thing. So they've still got that old mentality. Um, As the millennials and the kids are coming up, they don't have those memories and those thoughts of veganism. So and then countries like Austria and Germany, they didn't have any of that. So they love the word vegan. So there's vegan everywhere. So it depends what country you're going into as well. And you just got to know your market. So do your research 
what is the mentality of the market you're going into and um, decide on that, whether you go vegan or plant-based. But you'll 100% need both. Yeah, no, that's really good advice, really helpful. Now, you mentioned that you've got 130 vegan products and sold to 25 countries around the world. And you also mentioned that you brought out the new range. So I'm curious, when do you or how and when do you decide what type of new products to bring out at any given time? And what advice could you offer other entrepreneurs who are thinking about you know when and how to add new products to their range well i i speak to a lot of supermarkets and they come to us for advice because they're not you know plant-based themselves and i always say when you're first going into the market it is like for like so if you're going into somewhere just look at exactly what they do from an animal base and do like for like and then when you start going into ready meals do like for like and then once your brand sells well, you can introduce specials. So, for example, when I opened the first vegan cafe in Britain, I did Thai, Mexican, Italian, everything. So I would do a vegan chicken korma and a, a beef stroganoff or um, maki with uh, vegan cheese or hoisin duck that we do or uh, a pad thai with vegan chicken. Or So it's just basically... When you convert in flexitarians, they want to eat the same thing, but with a meat or fish or dairy alternative. And it's that simple. It's no more complicated than that. And once you have a brand that's trusted, then you can chuck in a cheese chorizo, chorizo casserole with whatever else um, that's a bit different in there that you want to chuck in. But to start with, you just want to do like for like. If you're trying to compete and that product has already been done, Mm. that's when you need to think outside the box. So, for example, we're doing an entire sandwich range with the biggest sandwich makers in Britain, um, and we're doing wraps and sandwiches. So we'll be doing like a hoisin duck, uh, spring onion wrap, coronation chicken, uh, wow. vegan sandwich, um, you know, and that's going into all the motorway cafes and all of, you know, the shops because the biggest problem is convenience. Um, and that's an area we've been pushing heavily with the the big sandwich and convenient salad and um, grab and go manufacturers is because loads of people would love to just run in a shop or a supermarket or a, or stop at the gas station. That's always the worst Definitely. place to end up eating a load of crap. Yes. All you eat is going to be nuts and crisps. Yes. You can't get hold of anything. <laughs> exactly. So how nice yeah. would it be? To just run in and go, oh, my God, this whole wheat, vegan duck, hoisin sauce, tortilla wrap, um, you know, would just be amazing. So that's those are the areas about think about problem solving. What do you want to eat and what do you miss eating now you're a vegan? Like what what things do you miss? And just make them into grab and go, cool, ready meals, um, you know whatever you feel the market's missing. Yeah, I love that. That's a really good point about what is the, the market um, missing and, and problem solving. I really love that. That's really good advice. Now, I noticed you mentioned with the cafe, I think I saw on the website with the cafes, you've got your offering vegan franchising and licensing opportunities for the Bee Bites Cafe. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and you know what support people get, the benefits of taking up a franchise with you as opposed to, say, starting up their own cafe, which is a whole thing in and of itself, and also what you look for in a franchisee? Right. 
So let me tell you, because I'm a very straight talking, honest person. And I don't want anybody who's not brilliant at running cafes and restaurants ever, ever to think that they can just go in and open a cafe, a restaurant, and it's going to be successful. It is a cesspit. It sucks your money like you can't imagine. Yeah. It is not a money-making venture unless you live and breathe it 24 hours. So let's put it in order. Okay. First of all, you need experience of running cafes and restaurants. If you don't have experience of running cafes and restaurants, go and work in one for a year or two. Don't even think of ever, ever opening a cafe and restaurant without doing it because that's precisely what I did and it was a blooming nightmare um number one so I don't want to start off negatively I just want no, to that's very great advice absolutely no this is brilliant yeah. so number one number one do that number two if you still love working in a cafe and restaurant two years later and you have learned everything from sales to procurement to ordering to margins to costings to everything and then you can get funding then you're ready but be prepared that you will not make any money for two or three years. So you need to make sure your accounts are able to support your lifestyle, whether one of your partner works um, or, or doesn't, whether it's a business partner or a personal partner, um, you need to make sure that you are not really going to be taking a wage for two or three years. Number three, if you can align with a brand that knows the business inside out, which is what we do, then do that rather than just open up a local cafe. Um, you tend to then really get support and help. Um, and the final thing is I set up my cafes to be non-profit, to feed the community, convert them, help them. And um, so we don't make any profit on, on our cafes. Number four, I am not a franchise expert. So we've set up the franchise system for a proper franchise expert company to do um to do it because franchising is a whole other world yeah. and um and and i don't suggest anyone basically trying to do it i mean we did it for 10 years and you're just dealing with public every day and i like animals more than people so i'm not <laughs> the best person you know to to we actually Bizarrely, we found the vegans were the biggest complainers and the carnivores never complained. It was very weird. Oh, no, and really? not, I mean, we got a tiny percentage of the vegans. So, <laughs> so they'd come in and say, um, why are you serving uh, vegan meat burgers? And I was like, because we want to convert the carnivores. Yeah. And they'd say, oh, you should just be doing salads. And I went, oh, no. everybody does salads. <laughs> yeah. Please, you know, let us convert people. Yeah. So we just want the vegans to support it not be negative towards it with the with those views because they're not they are not views that are going to help save animals the environment and the planet got it so yes yeah, franchise wise just be 100 percent sure you know what it's like to run cafes and restaurants do so not have a dream scenario but. that we all have they go oh how lovely would it be a nice little coffee shop i can <laughs> i can do the coffee for everyone in the morning i can do the cake you know, the fridge will break down, the boiler will blow up, the business rates will triple overnight, your staff won't turn up, they'll be pinching out the till, you know, they'll, 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 it'll be a nightmare. So if I haven't put you off already and you still want to do it, then you are the kind of person that should open your own cafe um, if you're not put off already. Fantastic. If they were to go with a V-Bytes franchise then, Heather, would it be on a non-profit basis then? 
No, only if that was their decision. Oh, we, okay. Uh, these are our own company ones. Franchise is a completely different. Okay, um, gotcha. That's just okay. me funding funding the cafes. I've, I've funded millions and lost millions. Um, you know, that's, that's how much it, it costs, um, you know, to keep things going. But, you know, it was 10 years ago when the market wasn't ready for it. True. If you look at the yeah. Buy Chloe mod, model, Oh yes, to, um, because they've got huge funding and they know exactly what they're doing. Um, they're doing really, really well. I don't know how well they're going to do on last scale up because the weak area is that they're making the stuff in the back of the kitchen. Um, and that makes it very difficult to scale up um, to become, you know, really profitable. Whereas what we do is we'll provide the duck, the chicken, the beef, the burgers, the whole shebang. And um, and then that means it, it means it's a minimal skill force, which keeps your costs down and your overheads down. Nice. Um, nice. Now you talked about. You've but got if you can't own... afford to, if you can't, if you can't afford to buy a building, if you are lucky to buy a little place, then obviously that's a good investment. And then it takes it less risk than if you're throwing money at leasing and renting. True, uh, true. But you've got to make sure you can sell that building if, if, if it doesn't work out. And it's about areas. You know, you, you'll stick one cafe in one area and it'll just fly. We've got key vegan communities that, that, that just inundated, like Brighton, Bristol, mm. Newcastle, Manchester, uh, Liverpool. But, you know, we've, we've stuck one in Holland and Barrett and Chester and it's very quiet. Um, but we've got core... Uh, lovers of the product so we keep it going um in there but that it really is about about where you place and where you where you find the place and how well you but you've got to be the thing is everyone says to me why what do you have to do as an entrepreneur and yes you have to be relentless but you have to be willing to live in a camper van so i am a very successful entrepreneur but i had loads of mistakes loads of failures and you have to be willing to accept them and learn from them and then run again if you're able to but you have to have everyone around you on board so if you're a couple you've got to be absolutely like-minded and you've got to be united and you've got to say right if it all goes don't know how to say a polite word for tips up but basically <laughs> if it all goes that way yeah um it's better than tips down i suppose as we get older but um <laughs> if, if if you if you are willing to do that you will be successful and and it, because i've never been attached to a house or a car or jewelry you know if i can you know, I just like a watch and a five-pound pair of earrings, but I got my watches from winning my speed world record holds. But I'm not attached to anything. So if I've got the money, I'll treat myself to a fabulous holiday or a nice thing. If I haven't got it, then, um, you know, I'll just sleep in my camper van at the bottom of the hill. And the great thing about having that attitude is that all the stress that comes with business, it is so much stress. You have got to be able to handle relentless stress, put it in a box, compartmentalize it, and just know it's an adventure. Enjoy it. Enjoy the learning curve. Enjoy the dramas. Enjoy the successes. Just know it's a roller coaster. If you are a slow boat to China person, 
then you are not an entrepreneur and you should work for a company and do nine to five, enjoy your life, enjoy your freedom, enjoy your regular wage and good on you. But if you're a nutter like me and you love the buzz of entrepreneurship and you are willing to sleep in a camper van and you have and your partner is and your family are, then you're an entrepreneur and you can go for it. But everyone has to be on board. So if one of you is bringing the wage in and working while the other one is being entrepreneurial and potentially bringing in your um, pension fund and your retirement lump sum, then you won't be screaming at each other and break your family up from the stress of it. Because I'm telling you, it is massively stressful. Mm, Massively. It's a really good point. Just to wrap up a a couple of final quick questions. Um, You've... uh, bought the former Walker's Crisps factory in County Durham, I believe, in the north of England. And I noticed, I think, in an interview, you said that um, you did that deliberately to create jobs in Britain, even though a lot of companies are doing the exact opposite because of Brexit. They're going to Europe and other places. I'm curious, as obviously, it's going to bring jobs to the area, which is great, and that all fits in with an ethical business. I'm just curious, what benefits will it bring V-Bites as a business? Because I know some of the vegan brands I've spoke to are worried about Brexit because, like one of the shoe manufacturers, they've said, oh, the costs are already going up and we haven't even got Brexit yet. Um, so I'm curious what business um, benefits um, it, this is going to bring V-Bites by keeping the manufacturing in the UK? Right. So so people, this whole country that voted for Brexit were totally misguided and miseducated um, as far as, you know, they're, they're, a lot of them are my factory workers. They're from my hometown. I bought this factory to support the Northeast economy because I saw everyone running away. So you know, Walkers, Procter & Gamble, Coty, mm-hmm. you know, now Nissan, and then we've got Honda. Yeah, everyone's running away. But the reality is this, Europe and Brexit are just one area of trade. You know, we ship out to America, to Australia. None of that changes, number one. So you still need to manufacture. Number two, because Europe is so expensive, we are cheaper to manufacture in England for England and for abroad, bizarrely, Mm -hmm. than it is in Europe. So the reason everyone ran away is because our unions are really weak now compared to Germany. So let me give you an example. If Procter & Gamble, they had a profit-making, and this is another factory that I'm just in the middle of trying to buy, 370,000 square feet in Newcastle as well. It's a Procter & Gamble factory that closed down two years ago. If they closed down a factory in Germany, it costs them 20% more in redundancies and uh, employee rights than it does in England because our unions aren't as strong. It's 8% more to do it in Spain. So even though Britain had one of their most profit-making factories and they just spent another $32 on an extension on it, they left and went off. The same with Walker's Pepsi. They left and went off as well. So I thought... Like in war zones where I've turned things around, it could become a disaster, but I've got a gut instinct and my gut instinct's normally right. I think this is the time to buy as many factories as possible. Plant-based is booming. There aren't enough plant-based only factories. There's hardly any in Britain. Cross-contamination's happening. All of the supermarkets are going to be forced to have to buy from a plant-based only manufacturer for safety and health issues. And it's exactly what's happening. Our 
factories are now full and bursting. And every plant-based manufacturer in Europe is ringing us up, asking us to manufacture for them to go into Tesco, Sainsbury's, Asda's, Waitrose in England. So that's why I bought all the factories, because I knew it would happen. Because as much as people think we can't sell to Europe, but we're still cheaper, Europe can't sell into us because it's too expensive. I see. But they still need to, you know, like um, Collaborative Yogurt Company do 15 million, you know, um, um from Sweden do, you know, 15 million a product into Tesco's. It's going to become too expensive for them. So because they're plant-based and we already make all the products that they do um, and, and, and every other product, we can manufacture for them. That then gives us an even more powerful force to stop the supermarkets from squeezing the margins down because yes. they are dependent on 10 of our brands. And that's why I said it will be by Ventures to I help the that. startups become yes. part of the united force so we can dictate to them instead of them squeeze the margins down to peanuts. No, I'm glad like you they raised do that. with the milk yes. farmers. That's right. That's you know, right. We, spend three bi- we spend three billion a year on dairy farm subsidies. All we have to do is train up those dairy farms to make potato starch, pea protein. They can make a 12% EBITDA. That $3 billion can go into the NHS or to education or to another a number of other areas. There are solutions that plant-based will solve so many huge, not only lives, environment, um, and animal costs, but financial strains on every country around the world. Well, I think what you're doing is absolutely uh, amazing. I particularly like that you're, I hope you get to take over the Procter & Gamble factory in particular, because I think that's a nice irony, because I know one of they were the biggest animal testing company. So I love the fact that hopefully a vegan brand will take over that. That's really, really interesting and fascinating. You've shared lots of amazing insights, and I really appreciate your time. I know that my final question was going to be, what's your long-term vision for uh, V-Bytes brand and yourself? And I know you're you're bringing out a beauty brand. You're moving slightly away. from the food into beauty as well, which is wonderful. I don't know if you want to just briefly say well, something we're, about we're, that. We're, we're, yeah, we're in everything. All I am is a problem <laughs> solver for, for life's problems. So, so you know, I, I went to do a speech at the World Eco Forum um, in Dubai, and people were there from all around the world. And I said, I've developed one of the only fully, fully 100% vegan brands um, that, that, that is going to be huge. Um, because there's lots of little brands, but this is high quality for low affordable pricing. Um, and it's really vegan because what annoys me is you go around the, the department stores like Selfridges and they say, yeah, we're vegan. And I say, give me the ingredient list. And only one lipstick is. The rest of it is not yeah. at all. And I'm fed up with this consumer duping. So be it one makeup, anyone can look at it as the pre-launch on Instagram. which is set up and developed and inspired by four of my... Um, vegan friends so I've done each ethnicity it's a small range to start with just to see if people are interested in the demands there because it costs millions to make ethical makeup so we need to check you know what people want but um but it's going to it's called be at one so we would like to say well let us give you the vegan brand that you can put in your stores to show that there's a huge demand that people don't want makeup that's tested on animals and the final thing is that Jews and Muslims that are friends of mine, they didn't even know they're putting pig on their face. And that's against their religious beliefs. So it's not just vegan. It's like 
people need to know what they're putting on their skin. And once you start looking after yourself, you want to know, God, I've just swallowed three tons of beetle lipstick. Yes. You know, yeah. they, they, they don't know it. And But you can't criticize people until you give them a solution. Absolutely. So now we have a beautiful vegan makeup range. And the same with shoes we do, clothing. You know, I've got about 20 different ranges that cover every single solution for people to go vegan. Wonderful. I love it. There's some really good advice. There was even a little nugget in there, like you said, testing it out, starting small, seeing if people want what you're producing before throwing a ton of money at it. So that was another little bit yeah. of nugget you threw in there. Thank you so much, Heather. I know you're super busy. I really appreciate you taking the time to Not share. At all. It was lovely talking. I hope I didn't waffle too much. No, you're amazing. Thank you so much. So that was Heather Mills, vegan entrepreneur and owner of Feebites. You can find out more at heathermills.org and at vbytes.com. And those links are on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 116. Now for our vegan business news roundup. The UK has overtaken Germany as the world's leader for vegan food launches, according to research firm Mintel. As many as one in six food products launched in the UK in 2018 had a vegan or no animal ingredients claim, doubling from just 8% in 2015. Edward Bergen, global food and drinks analyst at Mintel, said the reasons for the UK taking the top spot in new vegan product development is due to a huge promotion of vegan restaurants and new ranges. He said, The most poignant of these is the expansion of supermarket-owned label ranges in mainstream stores with dedicated vegan ranges. Additional space is also being freed up by UK supermarkets in the -the on-the-go aisles and small format stores to help promote vegan options and make it easier for meat-eating consumers to try these new concepts out. Bergen also pointed to initiatives such as Veganuary, in which people are encouraged to try vegan for the month of January, as a driver behind more consumers being willing to give vegan eating a go. Now, I can certainly attest to the fact that, in London anyway, Veganuary was everywhere this year. That's 2019, if you're listening in the future. I was there for the first two weeks of January, my old hometown, as part of a global vegan and climate change campaign I've been working on. And I couldn't believe how much I kept seeing the word vegan everywhere, outside eateries, inside eateries, that Veganuary was was mentioned everywhere. And I was also there for the furore over the vegan Greg's sausage roll that hit the media headlines. It was absolutely amazing. And of course, this is good news for vegan entrepreneurs in the food space. Plant-based beverage company Califia Farms has launched a new category of vegan milk, reports BevNet. The Los Angeles-based business has created Uber Milk, a range of oat milk drinks that deliver a good source of protein and other essential nutrients. Available in spring of this year in three varieties, unsweetened, unsweetened vanilla and chocolate, the Uber Milks have 8 grams of plant-based protein per serving, including all eight essential amino acids and fatty acids from plant oils for omega-3, 6 and 9 as well as calcium, iron, vitamin D, potassium, and vitamin E. 
The new products, which will be available at Whole Foods market stores across the US with additional distribution throughout the year, join the company's existing range of plant-based milks, including almond, coconut, cashew and oat. Now, what's interesting about this is how innovative plant-based milks are becoming and what entrepreneurs in this space need to do to stand apart. I've said this before on earlier episodes of the show that I remember 22 years ago, the only two options for vegan milk in the UK anyway, were soy milk sweetened with apple juice or soy milk unsweetened. (laughs) So to see not only a more diverse range in terms of the base used to make the milks, but now all these added nutrients, textures and flavors is just mind blowing. Love it. Finally, Polestar, the electric performance car brand jointly owned by Volvo Car Group and Shijang Geely Holding, has launched its newest all-electric fastback, the Polestar 2, with a vegan interior. Maximilian Missoni, head of design at Polestar, said, We decided to bring something different to the segment. Our avant-garde design has evolved from Polestar 1 into an edgier, bolder statement. We've also designed a standard vegan interior with progressive textiles that will appeal to the forward-thinking audience who will subscribe to the Polestar 2. Polestar 2 will make its first public appearance at the 2019 Geneva International Motor Show this month and then embark on a global roadshow in Europe, North America and China throughout 2019. So this is a really positive development and it's great to see high-tech car brands embracing sustainability even further by including vegan interiors. And we're starting to see the growth of interior design for homes, commercial properties, and now vehicles. And this offers opportunities for vegan designers and manufacturers. Fantastic. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more free resources as well as details of how we can work together to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 